This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bitesize Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bitesize Bio web seminar, which today is sponsored by Kyogen. Kyogen's a Netherlands-based holding company is the leading global provider of sample-to-insight solutions to transform biological materials into valuable molecular insights. Kyogen's sample technologies isolate and process DNA, RNA, and proteins from blood, tissue, and other materials. Assay technologies make these biomolecules visible and ready for analysis. Bioinformatics software and knowledge bases interpret data to report relevant, actionable insights. Automation solutions tie these together in seamless and cost-effective molecular testing workflows. Kyogen provides these workflows to more than 500,000 customers around the world in molecular diagnostics, human healthcare, applied testing, forensics, veterinary testing and food safety, pharma, pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies, and academia, life sciences research. Today's presentation is titled, Common Challenges and Solutions to micro- in Microbiome Analysis Workflows, and is being presented by Dr. Sven Reister from Kyogen. Sven studied biology and biochemistry at the University of Dusseldorf, focusing on stem cell biology and epigenetics. He did his PhD thesis in the Department of Pediatric, Oncology, Hematology, and Clinical Immunology, analyzing the gene regulation and expression of stem cell markers in hematopoietic stem stem and leukemic cells. Sven is currently working in the PCR product development team, focusing on the development of PCR master mixes to improve microbiome applications like 16S sequencing. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to, to Dr. Reister at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly slash microbiome analysis webinar. That's microbiome analysis webinar, all one word, lowercase. So now over to you, Sven, for the presentation. Thank you very much, Amanda. So thank you, everybody, for joining, and have a good day. Um, as Amanda said, I'm working at Kyogen, and I'm working in particular on solutions and PCR solutions for microbiome analysis. And this is a more and more important market for Kyogen. Microbiomes are getting more and more into focus because the interaction between the human beings and microbiome, as well as all other mammalians, plants, and the entire earth microbiome is getting more and more into the focus. So I would like to start with a big of, bit of background first. So what about the microbiome? Where do we come from? What is currently the situation? And also what are the, challenge, what are the challenges you have to get from a sample? to an unbiased result because it gives you no benefit if your results you get out of NGS, for example, are not displaying what you had in your sample. So let's start first with us, the human superorganism. Looking at the cataloging efforts which were done in the NIH Human Microbiome Project, approximately 10,000 different organisms live with us, meaning on our skin, in our gastrointestinal, uh, in our uh, mouth and on the entire body. The number of bacterial gene, uh, genes outnumbers our by the factor 150. And 
the different uh, microbiota which you have on your body can now be revealed due to better technologies and they show that they have an effect not only on us but also our age our gender our weight or our total habits like dietary habits have an effect on the microbiome on the other thing so it's a balance and it's a back and forth between us and our microbiome so why is it coming up now and why is it uh, something which was which is not obvious since years before uh, micro uh, molecular biology technologies were applicable for microbial analysis you could only use things like culture uh, assays to find bacteria on the one side this allows you only to detect and identify bacteria which you can grow and on the other side you will just find what you're looking for so for example selective media for some bacterial strains are not suitable for growing other strains so this was a very narrow view and now due to all our molecular biological techniques like next generation sequencing and also um, whole genome sequencing we can have a better look in all this and all these uh, molecular technologies already have revealed some major impacts so for example the dysbiosis or imbalance in the microbiome can contribute to various diseases and also very severe diseases of the human being when we look here on different uh, areas of our body in the gut for example the microbiome is associated with intestinal infections obesity inflammatory bowel disease type 2 diabetes or cancer also in our airway uh, bacteria are known to be responsible or have an impact in pneumonia and other respiratory infections in copd or in cystic fibrosis also the urogenital tract is quite massively affected by bacteria so you can get bacterial vaginosis urinary tract infections or sexually transmitted diseases Obviously, as each and every other organ, also the blood can be affected, leading to sepsis or bloodstream infections. The oral cavity is also known and often found to uh, have uh, imbalanced microbial uh, communities. In these cases, they often lead to periodontis or gingivitis. So also, perhaps not the most severe uh, malignancies, but still some, something you have to suffer from. So as I said, in the earlier days, we just had the culture techniques or have done some tests for catalytic activity of bacteria to identify their metabolic activity and the characteristics to narrow down which species you have there. Nowadays, we have other options to identify uh, the community in a microbiome sample. You can look either on the nucleic acids or on the genome. You can look out uh, at RNA to analyze the transcriptome or you look on proteins and other small molecules uh, to look for the proteome or metabolomics every of these methods have has advantages and downsides so looking for uh, the molecules is of course an interesting point to see what is predominant predominantly secreted in regards of small molecules or proteins looking for the rna expression expression shows you which genes are uh, upregulated or strongly expressed in your microbial sample. So gene expression is an interesting point, for example, also for, for uh, challenging or for uh, tackling of uh, infections 
to find new targets for uh, an antibiotic therapy, for example. Currently, the standard, uh, standard workflows to identify the diversity of a uh, microbiome sample is to sequence the DNA. You can do this either by DNA sequencing of a shotgun library. This will give you a lot of answers, and this is not restricted, for example, to bacteria. You can have a look for bacteria, archaea, viruses, and all other DNAs in one run. That's on the other side also the point which is perfect, uh, perhaps not optimal. So if you have a lot of human DNA in because you have a stool sample or something, you will also sequence your human sample. This leads in the end to uh, the need of having a high sequencing capacity per sample. So you have to do really uh, high coverage sequencing. You have a lot of data because you not just have a short amplicon, you sequence entire genes, uh, entire genomes. It gives you a lot of, uh, lot of additional information, but sometimes you just want to know how is the distribution of different strains. This information is often uh, analyzed by using the, the 16S rRNA gene from bacteria. This gene is expressed or is, uh, is inherited in all bacterial strains in different copy numbers. So you can have between one and more than 10 16S copies per gene, uh, per genome, depending on your bacterial strains. The beauty about 16S sequencing is that you have a short amplicon, which is normally something like 300 base pairs when you look at the V3, V4 region, but still has a high discriminative power. So you can sequence this, have a low sequence cost in the end, and can sequence a lot of samples and get your bacterial diversity, uh, so your OTUs and the composition in your sample. 16S sequencing will give you answers about the bacteria and the RK in your sample. You could combine 16S sequencing, for example, with ITS. And by doing ITS sequencing, you would also get fungal and yeast strains in your sample. But during my talk, I will focus on 16S sequencing in contrast to the DNA shotgun sequencing approach, because this is the most common uh, approach at the moment. For example, when we look at the Earth Microbiome Project, with this specific protocol, more than 2,000 publications were made in the last years. So when we have this from the microbiome sample to your results, what are the challenges you have to tackle and you have to think about before starting it? Obviously, you want to sequence DNA, so you first have to find the perfect or suitable solution to extract high purity, high quality, uh, and high molecular weight uh, DNA from your sample. The extraction of the DNA should be quantitative. This means when you have uh, different bacterial bac bacteria in your sample, you should be able to crack and lyse them all with eager, with same efficiency so that you're not getting a bias due to lysis. As said, fungal sequences are getting more and more into focus. 16S was the start, but now uh, the research is more and more interested also to see what happens with the, with the fungal microbiome. This means your lysis protocol or your kit is not only needed to be, uh, to be capable of extracting bacterial DNA, but also fungal DNA. And the better the technologies, the higher the demands of the researchers are. So 16S sequencing really became a high throughput application with uh, a lot of samples every day in labs around the world. And also the 
the requirements for the sample input are getting more and more sophisticated. So the researchers want to check not only samples with high DNA input like stool samples, but also want to look, for example, for skin swaps or something or buckle swaps where you not always have the most DNA, but still need to get enough out for your sequencing workflow. So after having your uh, DNA extracted, you want to amplify it. So you have to uh, identify a good PCR solution, which quantitatively amplifies the different sequences. Bacteria can have between 25 and 85% GC content in the genome. So finding an appropriate enzyme which uh, amplifies low and high GC with the same uh, efficiency is a key point here. In addition, especially when you have low input samples, you should have a chemistry which is not giving you uh, 16SDNA background because this again can bias your results. Obviously, if you don't have a lot of sample, your mix has to be powerful and sensitive enough to amplify 16S also from minute sample amounts. As said here, fungals are getting more and more interesting. Therefore, the demand is raising that you can multiplex, for example, 16S with ITS so that you can amplify your bacterial and fungal sequence of interest in one reaction. So now you have done all your wet lab work, you have uh, given your libraries uh, to the sequencing facility, and then they come back to you with something like 20 or 60 or sometimes even more gigabyte of data, which for me as a bio biologist or biochemist is something, I, at, the, at the beginning I had no idea what to do with this. It's really a different world. I don't have a bioinformatics background, but you need this, or you need to have a good solution. Bioinformatics are important because you have to analyze uh, more and more data. You have a, a higher sequencing coverage. You multiplex your samples so that you have 96 or uh, sometimes even more samples per run uh, with different barcodes on it. And in addition, you want to get all artifacts removed which are coming from your workflow. So ideally, PCR duplicates or something in this regard, you need a good trimming of your results. and Later on, you just don't want to have uh, pure data tables. You want to have them visualized in a good way, ideally usable for a publication or for the next uh, next meeting with your with your lab to pre present what you're doing. The last point is you don't want to wait two weeks for your NGS analysis. So you have to. There is the need to have a workflow which has a short time to result and to give the results you need. So that's the challenges before we start uh, into the DNA extraction and uh, amplification. I first would like to have some words on good working practices. When we started, or when my team started with working on uh, low DNA master mixes for microbiome applications, we first had to find ways to uh, set up PCR mixes without contaminating them on our own. So we are, in the end, the biggest contamination source. Each and every one of us is releasing around 1 billion bacteria, bacteria per hour in the air around you. So we have a microbial uh, cloud just around us. So we have to find ways to get this uh, microbial cloud not entering our sample tubes. Some ways we are using are obviously dedicated disposables and uh, pipettes to use suitable reagents so also at this point to exclude that the reagents themselves are uh, adding any additional uh, DNA background. 
running non-template controls is uh, yeah kind of mandatory because uh, it shows you directly if your reagents are clean or not. And if you can do so, increase your sample amount and reduce your PCR cycles because the background will be lower if you're not amplifying it that much. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. The last points I can tell you is that we are using a UV PCR bench for setting up all this and by this can completely exclude contaminations, which I can show you later on too. In addition, we have identified or we've checked that uh, depending on your sample prep kits, you can have more uh, or less DNA background. Therefore, this is also a good point to uh, look for when you're picking your workflows. And as a last point, store your samples before nucleic acid extraction as well as your extracted DNAs appropriately. So let's jump into the, uh, the DNA extraction part. So what is important for your samples? We said already that you, have, that you require good nucleic acid quality. You don't want to have shearing. You want to have a reproducible, reproducible isolation of high quality nucleic acids. For this, you have to uh, have to be sure that you always have a sufficient cell lysis. You want to exclude co-purification of PCR inhibitors because when you have them in a sample, they can affect your entire workflow later on. And yeah, all bacteria or all germs in your samples should ideally be lysed and isolated using the right kit. So let's start with the first point. What is the effect or what is the source of PCR inhibitors? A lot of microbiome studies are working with soil samples or stool samples or other really complex matrices containing bacterial DNA. In, in soil samples, for example, you can have uh, humic acids. Humic acids are known to bind directly on the PCR enzymes and by this inhibit the TAC polymerase. In stool, for example, you can have hematin. Hematin is coming from, uh, from blood and is perfectly complexing uh, two times positive ions like uh, iron, which is its job, but it's also doing exactly the same for magnesium. So this is also affecting the PCR by complexing your magnesium. How does it look when you are doing an inhibitor removal or you're not doing it? So we've used a uh, challenging sample materials. In this case, it was a stool sample. You can see when we use the inhibitor removal technology, which is, patent, which is uh, patented for chiagen, you have a really good uh, amplification and you don't see any inhibition. When you leave this uh, step out, you can see that the same samples have significant uh, CQ shifts. Here, for example, we have something like, like 20 CQ shifts and this is uh, less than 10,000 times less amplified DNA. So the kit or uh, the PowerSol Pro kit, which is containing, for example, this inhibitor removal technology is not only giving you uh, the security to have no PCI inhibitors in your sample. We also compared it with uh, different stool samples and other vendors. And we can clearly indicate that we have the highest yields out of your sample. This means, on the other side, if you see it that way, to get more DNA out, you have to lyse more cells. 
And this means this kit is capable of doing a, or giving you a much better picture of your microbiome, which is in your sample than other kits are capable to do. Here on the right side, you can also see this by looking at an alpha diversity plot. The PowerCell Pro kit has the highest diversity of all analyzed kits in this, uh, in this setting. So this is the first step you can go to, uh, to certify that your microbiome sequencing approaches give you the best picture of your real microbiome sample. Think about what's your sample, think about the appropriate sample extraction kit, and yeah, this is already giving you the good, the good basis to start with. So let's go on. As we now have our DNA extracted, we want to jump into the PCR part of the story. So for 16S, the challenges are that you have to amplify all bacterial 16S sequences evenly. This means, for example, when you use a mock community, for, which you can buy at ATCC with 10 different bacterial strains, and each of them has 10% abundance in your sample, your NGS results should also come up with something like 10% each. Beside this, and this is also a point which affects your, uh, your sample uh, distribution of the different strains, your chemistry itself should not introduce any bacterial background to your sample. This is not always that easy because, for example, a lot of enzymes which are used for molecular, molecular biology applications are expressed in bacteria. And further on, you have to have a chemistry which is sensitive enough to also amplify limited sample amounts. You might think when you do a, uh, eco, uh, a, a surface DNA extraction from soil or something, that you always have a ton of DNA in. The problem is you not always know if this is pure microbial DNA. It can also be a lot of plant DNA, a lot of mammalian DNA. So when you end up with putting a one nanogram of DNA in your sample, it does not necessarily mean that you have one nanogram of bacterial DNA. So you have to have a sensitivity from the mix. And in addition, as I said some slides before, multiplexing of different targets would be interesting. Here I'll show you data which we have generated with different solutions, which are quite abundantly used in microbiome applications. You can see that the mixes on the one side are getting very, very weak for low input amounts. So with two E. coli genomes per sample, you're not getting really strong bands anymore. And the non-template controls can be even stronger than your low, co low concentrated samples. So this means such a mix could introduce uh, and DNA bias in your sample, which you can't evaluate. Here in another solution, you can also see that the indices are positive and could give you some input. I have to say these data were made with 36 cycles of uh, PCR cycling, so the experiments are already intended to get down to low DNA amounts. We have developed a solution to tackle this. Our new Kyogen UCP Multiplex Master Mix is tested for bacterial and fungal background. And it's not only the master mix that, which is tested, all components of the kit are tested. Because we have found that using an appropriate water, for example, is also a key point. So not only the mix, the tracers we have in the kit, you can use to color your sample and you could use to color your master mix, as well as the water, are tested with this test, this test for bacterial background. And of course, fungal background. Beside the low background, which is already a key point of this master mix, 
It is a high concentrated formulation, so it's a Forex master mix, which allows you to add high sample amounts. We have customers doing a, a 20 microliter reaction, and out of 20 microliter, 40 microliters are sample, one microliter is primer, and five microliter are the master mix. So this is allowing you to, or enabling you to add big amounts of your samples in case they are not high concentrated. In addition, I'm not showing this here, but I have uh, sequencing data where we have sequenced more communities and this mix is highly quantitative. So we came out with the bacterial abundances which were added to the kit. So that's the one part of the story. The other point is we have a high inhibitor resistance. So in case you're using uh, extraction kits without inhibitor removal technology, like our UCP Kaya-M family, which on the other side has a, a host DNA depletion, also a good point, depending on your sample material. And we have a high GC coverage. So we could show that we can amplify from 25 to 85% GC without any modifications of the protocol or the mix. So how does points like an inhibitor resistance or the background come into play for your samples? Here we have used humic acids, a known inhibitor, which is co-purified from soil samples, and looked for the 16S amplification. Here you see 16S with 220 or 2 E. coli genomes in the presence of humic acid and in the absence of humic acid. I agree you have a weaker bands in the presence of humic acid, but you still get down to 2 E. coli genomes. Other solutions here are not able to amplify anything in the presence of uh, inhibitor, inhibitory substances like humic acid. And even without humic acid, I have to say I can't discriminate non-template controls, 20 genomes or even 200 genomes, saying that the background in this master mix is quite high. And I've, I got feedback or confirmation for this from uh, customers we talked to, which see for PCR solutions, depending on the mixes, up to uh, 200 bacteria genomes per reaction background. So. That's, our, that's the basis, and I would like to show you something what you can do when you have more samples or when you just don't want to spend your time standing on the bench and doing your workflows. So a lot of our kits, like the Kaya Amp 96 Power Fecal Kaya Cube Kit, or also the PowerSoil Pro Kit, which is coming now as a Kaya Cube HT version, are automatable on a Kaya Cube HT. In addition, all our spin column-based kits can be automated on the Kaya Cube in a 12 reaction format. So here, these parts of the Kaya automation do a lot of the part for the sample, pre sample preparation. Here you have the, uh, the lysing st uh, station to do the beat beating of your samples. You transfer your, uh, your lysates after inhibitor removal to the Kaya Cube HT. It does the full sample prep of 96 samples in 90 minutes. Then you can use your extraction, uh, your, your output plate, uh, export your results file, use it here for the Kyagility, that's our small and uh, really powerful uh, PCR setup robot. You put uh, the export uh, uh, sheet from the HT to the Kyagility and directly have your sample list. So it will know directly in which position is which sample, set up the PCR, and in the end you get a report. And with this report, you know 
my sample, uh, my stool sample from this patient is at position A1. After the PCR, you can use your plate and put it directly in the uh, Kaya Excel, which is a capillary electrophoresis system. But the good part is the system works directly from your primary sample plate without doing anything to your samples. So this means you can put your plate in, just look if you get your amplicons and directly proceed downstream to your uh, uh, amplicon purification and, uh, for example, the one-step library prep. What I, why I'm telling this to you? Because if you have 96 samples up to this point, it might not be that cost-intensive. But when you go into the uh, NGS workflow, you want, you want to be sure that all your samples have amplified and have appropriate amounts of PCR product. So the Kaya Excel can be perfectly implemented in your workflows at this point. Okay, so showing uh, these pictures is one point. I would like to show you some data. We have used frozen stool samples, 200 milligram each from 16 patients. The samples were extracted with the workflow I've shown you on the slide before with the tissue lyser and automated on a Kayakube HT. So the technician had something like 60, 60 minutes free time, which she normally would have been on the bench and putting the tubes in the centrifuge, wasting the, the, the flow through from the columns and so on. In addition, the Kayakube HT has a chain of custody. So you, he knows exactly, and you know exactly on the audit trail, if everything went right. So we used the samples with the uh, UCP multiplex master mix and some standards to amplify the 16S gene. Looking first on the left side, which is our kind of quality control, the, the non-template controls were clean, so we had no background, and we could get down to 10 femtogram of bacterial DNA. Yeah, the bands here are a bit weaker, however, because of the high bacterial load of stool samples, we have just done 34 PCR cycles. So see it from another perspective. Even with 34 uh, PCR cycles, you get down to two E. coli genomes. On the other side, all 16 uh, stool samples which were isolated worked perfectly without a sample normaliz normalization prior to the PCR. So we just used one microliter of the, of the LUAT from a Kayakube HT, which is a perfect workflow integration. So I said before that the earth microbiome, for example, is very powerful and is used a lot for 16S sequencing. However, also not all bacteria can be identified with this uh, primer pairs or labs have other needs and want to have a perfect solution out of a box. For this, we have developed a Kayasec 16S ITNS library kit. This kit gives you the power to choose the 16S regions you want and to combine them with a fungal detection. So the kit has two different formats. You can either have a screening panel, which consists of three duplex PCRs for 16S covering the entire 16S region from V1 to V9, and also a multiplex for ITS in this. When you've done this, or when you, for example, know already which regions are interesting for you, you can order specific regions. So this means you would have only one duplex piece or one triplex PCR with two 16S regions plus ITS. In addition, the kit includes everything you need. So you have your primers, master mix, water and beads for the entire workflow up to NGS. You can get this with 24 or 96 different indexes. So you can do up to 96 samples in one run from the beginning to the end directly on the MySec. 
but that's the structure. What are the benefits besides having the freedom to choose the primers you, primers you want? We have a phase primer system. So this means that uh, in the primers are uh, ad uh, additional bases, and by this you are shifting your uh, position of the 16S genes uh, between one and, uh, I guess, nine or 10 nucleotides. This has the benefit that it's massively increasing your heterogeneity in your libraries and improves your uh, cluster calling on the, on the MySeq. The beauty about this, you can eliminate phi x. So this uh, decreases the sequencing cost a lot. And the base quality is really improved by this. So as said before, the number of PCR cycles is important for your uh, bias and also for amplification of background. Here we uh, have had a, a potential or a special interest on looking on a system which can amplify with low PCR cycles from even very low DNA inputs. So for one nanogram of DNA, we're taking uh, 12 cycles of 16S. When you go down to one picogram, you have 20 cycles. It works perfectly. In addition, we have a smart control in it, which you can amplify with the 16S primers. On the other side, it's an artificial system, so you can use it as your negative control for the sequencing results and as a positive control for your library construction. Here's a short overview how the kit works in principle. You have to extract your samples, do your 16S PCR. When you have the screening panel, as mentioned before, you have three reactions per sample. You have to do two beat cleanups, pool them, do your indexing PCR with the sample indices, do the beat cleanup, and then you have your library QC. This is a really streamlined and quick process, which allows you to standardize your sample process a lot. So now you've done everything. Your libraries are sequenced, you get the sequencing results back, and now you have to analyze them. As said, my challenge when I got my first NGS results was just the pure mass of results and that I'm not a bioinformatician. So at the time when I got it, unfortunately, I wasn't aware about CLC because I was still at the university and I would have loved it. Because CLC is an integrated analysis which delivers all the data you need. So it can do the complete analysis of microbi microbial genomics and metagenomics and it's completely integrated. And you can use it for what you want. You have streamlined workflows to focus on the interpretation of the results. And the algorithms allow you to run the analysis on a standard computer. So you don't need the multi-core high power uh, server, which was needed before. So how does it work? You have your CLC genomics server and your CLC genomics workbench. You load your data in. And then you pick the plugin you want. So for example, when you uh, look for 16S, you can use your CLC microbial uh, genomics work uh, module and in the end, get the results in the way you, you need them. You can look, for example, for microbiome analysis, the contribution, egg bio and food safety, or also look for outbreak analysis. I have uh, here a bit more detailed overview. As said, we start with the data import, then you do the trim or the software does the trimming and the quality filter of the raw reads. It will merge the paired and uh, 
pad end reads, so the forward and reverse read for your sequence, and then you can use the database you want. For 16S, you can either choose between the gene, uh, green genes or the silver database. When you have uh, whole genome assemblies, you take the uh, gene ontology, ontology of FAM. Based from this, here you would have the uh, de novo assembly for the metagenome analysis for whole genome sequencing. On the other side, for 16S, you would have the OTU clustering and the tree building. And as the secondary analysis, you look for the alpha and beta, uh, beta diversity to get your phylogenetic diversity in your sample and to get some statistics out of it. Not to forget, the software is giving you directly uh, public, publication quality uh, visualization plots for your data. As said in the beginning, I would like to end my talk with showing you some application data. During the last decades, I have to say, uh, more and more people were looking for aging and the impact of aging on the human being. In the beginning, uh, people like Hayflick, for example, uh, looked on the human cells and looked what happens to the cells. So, for example, Hayflick identified uh, the Hayflick limit, which is in the end, uh, the cellular senescence. It was found that uh, cells, when they're aging, getting more and more genome alterations. So the genome instability is increasing. Telomere attrition is seen. So your telomeres are shortening and your cells cannot, cannot replicate anymore. Your methylation patterns are changing. So you have epigenetic alterations in your DNA. And there are many other processes in your body which are affected. However, in the last time, as for pretty every uh, area of interest, the microbiome came into focus. So it's an increasing focus on the gut microbiota as a potential regulator of aging. So we wanted to have a look on this. We used uh, stool samples from uh, 10 persons. Five of them are uh, in a higher age. Five of them are in a lower age. As you can see, the distribution was roughly 50-50 between male and female. And yeah, we used a 200 milligram of human stool, lysed them with power B tubes for 10 minutes on a vortexer, and uh, the supernative was then placed in a Kaya cube, and using the Kaya M power fecal DNA kit, the DNA was isolated. Here you can see a picture of the DNA samples after isolation, and we succeeded in amplifying uh, good amounts of high-quality DNA. When we look at the, the DNA yields for the samples, it seems like the, the young people in general had a higher DNA yield out of the samples than the old people. So the next step, and I will sh first show you a small overview, the next step after the DNA isolation was the amplification of the 16S sequence uh, to prepare everything for NGS. Here, I would like to show you uh, the overview of the entire 16S sequence. And the plot is giving you the, the different high constant or uh, high conserved regions. Based on this, we have decided to use the B4V5 region, which is in the end one of the most common used amplicons for 16S sequencing. 50 nanogram of inhibitor free DNA were used, and 22 PCR cycles were done with the 
modified uh, Earth microbiome primers. Here are the PCR products. So we uh, succeeded to amplify a sufficient amount of 16S amplicon for each of the samples. And not to forget here, the blanks are empty sample preps on the Kaya Cube HT. So we have no background coming from the kit. PCR products were then uh, evaluated from the gel and used for the uh, Kaya one-step amplicon kit. Subsequently, uh, these libraries were normalized and used for uh, Illumina sequencing with a paired N250 base per sequencing. So up to this point, we have no issues with the workflow. The inhibitor removal was efficient, could perfectly amplify our 16S regions, and we had no background. After the NGS run, we got uh, some sequencing statistical results. As you can see here, we have generated roughly 22 million uh, paired end reads. We had 90% of the reads passing a quality filter of uh, and of a thread score of 30. 88% of the reads could be assigned to one of the used indices, so most of the, of the uh, NGS reads could be used. And we had a pretty good uh, distribution, so nine out of the 10 samples had around 10% abundancy in the reads, so we had a pretty good uh, distribution of the samples. So after running the data uh, in the microbial genomics prosuit, this is the first plot uh, we obtained. This is giving you the uh, results at the, sum, uh, at the genus level. And as already mentioned here, you can customize your outputs in the way you want them. And also reads which were not, uh, not mapped directly were then clustered and de novo analyzed. So here already, on the left side, the old, and on the right side, the young uh, individual samples, it seems for me that we have a higher uh, variation or a higher diversity in our young individuals. As you can see here, many more different uh, bars compared to the older individuals. So as a secondary analysis, we look for alpha and beta diversity. Here, the alpha diversity plot clearly confirms this feeling all uh, young individual samples had a higher diversity than the old individual samples, confirming that with age, you have an effect on your bacterial diversity. As a next point, we wanted to know if this is uh, significantly different. So we did a PermaNova analysis, or the microbial genomics prosuit did this analysis. And as you can see here, we have a significant difference between the young individuals and the old individuals. So by this data, we could show that aging has an effect on your microbial community in the gut. We can, of course, not say if the reduced microbial uh, community or variation is a source or is caused by aging, or if this is affecting aging. But studies on different dietary uh, preferences, also, for example, in Japan or other uh, blue regions in the world where people get very old indicate that the dietary uh, conditions have a strong effect on aging. These were the data I wanted to show you. And in summary, here are the kits I, I was talking about in case you're interested and would have a look on this workflow on your own. Thank you all for your attendance. And I hope I could explain this workflow and uh, to you in an appropriate manner. 
and highlighted some points which might be interesting for you. Thank you. Thanks, Sven. That was an excellent presentation. And we have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right of your screen. So our first question is from, um, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, Kalyani. And they ask, what is the ideal concentration of DNA for 16S sequencing? Um, that's, that's a pretty good point. It's more important that you uh, adapt your, your cycles, so your, your amplification cycles to your amount of DNA. We can show uh, a linear amplification from starting from 10 nanogram of bacterial DNA down to 10 femto, uh, 100 femtogram of bacterial DNA. As said, the more DNA you put in, the higher is your diversity just coming from the sample. So if you're interested, just send me an email and I can uh, put some data together and send them to you. Okay. And then they have another question, a follow-up question on that. They're asking about for long-term storage of isolated DNA, what is the ideal temperature and would that affect the diversity? I have to say, I don't expect it affects the diversity. What is important is that you either freeze it or uh, store it in a way that you can prevent any kind of additional contamination with bacteria. Because normally most extraction kits are using RNA-free water or TE mm -hmm. buffer or something in this regard, which is not uh, antimicrobial. So, and also keeping in mind that for 16S, it's not that important if you're DNA is getting cracks, I would freeze the samples. If you want to have security, just take the UCP water from the UCP multiplex, for example. Mm -hmm. This is tested for bacterial background. Oh, okay. And then um, we have a question about, is 16S sequencing or whole genome the better approach for microbiome analysis? Uh, uh, this is... A very good question. I guess you can fill evenings discussing about this. Um, it is always a question what you want to have. Mm -hmm. If you want to get the, uh, the distribution of the different strains in your sample, 16S is a very good way to do this. And 16S is the uh, more price uh, or has the, has the cheaper price per result, saying it that way. Whole genome sequencing needs much more NGS capacity. So if you just want to have distribution answers and you know what you're looking for, so for example, just looking for bacteria, just looking for fungals, uh, 16S ITS sequencing is very good. If you want to get everything in, like the virome, for example, uh, whole genome sequencing is the better option. Okay, that makes sense to me. And then we have a question from Abhijit, sorry. Um, modification to 16S primers were mentioned, and it was also mentioned that there would be a 10 nucleotide change. Could you explain that a little bit more? Um, I just understood the first part of your question, but modifications are meant here, for example, that the Earth microbiome primers uh, are containing already adapter sequences. And when we did this approach, we went just with the PCR in, because the mm -hmm. one-step library kit we're using is bringing in the PCR adapters. Oh, okay. So in the end, uh, the, uh, the primer sequences and the degenerated bases were equal. That makes sense. And then we have a follow-up question from Kalyani. Um, what should you do with any taxa that come from the sequencing of the no-template control? 
Um, so when you when you sequence a not sequence a non-template control, in the end, this is just showing you if you have a background or not. If you okay. uh, the the ideal way is always preventing input. So we have when we when we developed the low DNA master mixes, we uh, started with a um, uh, risk analysis and a root cause, which can give you bacterial background. And in the end, we came up with quite a lot of different answers. It is depending on your workflow and depending on your uh, approaches, what you are doing with the non-template control samples. I would be careful in case your NTCs after PCR are showing already significant uh, amplification. Okay. And for the 16S sequencing kit from Kyogen, it will show you that our chemistry is clean. And then I guess kind of along with that, um, so how can you ensure that your microbiome workflow will give you the most adequate answer in regards to bacterial composition? Um, this is a really good point. Um, at each and every uh, microbiome analysis is just trying to, to make a picture which is as appropriate as possible. We are always just doing a kind of a projection. Mm -hmm can just try to certify that we have the most appropriate sample prep kits, which are able to uh, lyse more bacterial strains or the most bacterial strains. And we can also show you for each and every product here, which I've referenced to, that, um, that we have tested it. So for example, for the PowerSoil Pro, we can see also by looking at uh, the alpha diversity compared to other kits that we can uh, identify or sequence strains which we couldn't sequence before or you can't sequence when you use other kits. Mm -hmm. So find a way to get the most out of your sample. That's the only thing I can say. Okay, and then we have a question from uh, Saran. So they're asking if the, is the selection of the variable regions, so V3, V4, V5, dependent on the sample type, like human, soil, or environmental sample, or is V4, V5 most preferable? Uh, V4, V5 is uh, the most common used one, but depending on your bacterial strains, and I have to admit I can't say it from the top of my head right now, mm -hmm. I know that people are using V1, V2. So okay. we have a lot of customers which go that way uh, due to, uh, for example, also diagnostic purposes. And not each, uh, not each variable region allows you to get down to the specific strain. And that's a point uh, where this comes into play. Okay. And then, um, oh, Jessica has kind of an interesting question. So they recently performed um, some 16S analysis and found that tri their triazole is a sort or was a source of contamination. So now they're looking to scout freeze lung samples and looking for a solution. Um, do you have any um, advice on how to proceed, or would you recommend this? Um. I would just recommend to have a look at our, uh, in our uh, microbial mm -hmm. uh, extraction kits uh, portfolio because we can tackle pretty all sample types. And okay. I have also done sequencing or also qPCR analysis on my own, and I can, I can say that these kits are really clean. So Trizol is understandable, a good source for background, but yeah, go mm -hmm. with our solutions and you should get discovered. That would make sense because everything would be optimized to work together. Yeah. And then um, Yushuan asks, can you identify all your 
mock bacteria through 16S microbiome analysis. And they add it's hard to identify all for many people. Um, that's exactly the point, depending on your, uh, on your primer set or on the variable regions you are using. You get by more communities either down to the classes or families, or you can get down till the strain. So not every of these uh, of these primer pairs is capable of doing everything, and that's exactly another reason why we mm -hmm. are multi uh, giving the chance to multiplex them. If you not only have V4, V5, but have V4, V5 combined with, for example, V1, V2, mm -hmm. you have a better chance to discriminate it. That makes sense because then you'd have more um, criteria for discrimination. Yeah. Okay, and then we have, I think, one final question. So, for which samples would you recommend DNA depleted material in particular? Um, in particular, when you have low concentrated samples. So, for example, when you have okay. something like uh, surface swaps, buckle swaps, um, when you start with uh, 250 nanogram of DNA from a stool sample, this might not be the uh, the reason, however, also with a high amount of starting material, you want to have a quantitative amplification, and inhibitor resistance is always a good point to have it in when you have highly complex, complex matrices as, start, uh, as starting material. Yeah, that makes sense, because then you want to make sure that you can start off with as good material as you yep. can. Exactly. Oh, okay, sorry, we have somebody else who just um, snuck in. Rosalie asks, what is the range of microbiome DNA quality? So should it only be 1.8 to 2 for the 260, um, for the 260 over A280 or for sequencing? Um, at this point, I have to say uh, I'm from the PCR side of the story, so I can't answer this okay. question off my head, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Rosalie, what I would suggest you do is I will sit on the page for the webinar, there should be an email contact. So I would go ahead and send also, an email. Question. Also shown here. Just shoot me an email yes. and I'm happy to answer your question. It's also on the slide, sorry. <laughs> no problem, Rosalie. Okay, so or I other, think. Otherwise, call our tech service. They also yes. get yeah. And I know from when I was in the lab, Kaijin's tech service is fantastic. So highly recommend That's it. It's good to hear. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of the webinar. So thank you again, Zen, for a very illuminating presentation and a fantastic discussion. And thanks also to our sponsor, Kyogen. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And finally, oh, good. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. If you've enjoyed the seminar and would like to view the video recording of the session, please visit the webinars page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. There you can see the other webinars we have lined up for you on Bite Size Bio. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Kyogen and Bite Size Bio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.